Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great start to your week. We are live on AMP. Don't forget if you're watching on YouTube or the podcast feeds or anywhere else that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows, these post-game instant reactions. Today we're going to be talking about that another crazy Lakers game because that's just the way all of them are this season. Uh, That entire organization is kind of sloppy from the top down. So you're going to get a lot of sloppy basketball because process usually leads to results. 
uh, that you deserve with that type of process. We're also going to talk just a tiny bit about the Warriors' recent win streak. I'm not going to dive too long into it because, provided all their starters play, we're going to be hitting them tomorrow when they play the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then, I've been holding off for too long, guys. I have a solid... Uh, uh, I have a, a, a lot of thoughts about officiating in the NBA that I'm going to be saving for the end of the show. Before we get started, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the U.S. If you're looking to get out to any NBA, NHL, NFL playoff games, or even a concert or comedy show, Game Time has amazing last-minute deals on tickets to all of these. Uh, two nights from now, I'm going to see in McHale Center the Oregon Ducks play against the Arizona Wildcats. A little chance for the Wildcats to get some revenge. Uh, got the tickets on game time. It was super easy to use. I knew exactly where the seats were going to be. They have a lot of cool features, like the ability even just to move your phone around to get an idea, uh, a lay of the land as it pertains to the stadium. Uh, I really want you guys to check it out. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the game time app, enter your email, and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and the code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay. Like I said, another wild Lakers game. Um, The Lakers had no idea how to guard Jalen Brunson. Absolutely torched them all game long. A couple of specific things that Jalen Brunson did that I thought were super interesting for young guards to pay attention to. He started with the head of steam, started his attack either in semi-transition or would back away to get ahead of steam before he'd go into these pick and rolls. It puts the defender in a situation where they're on their heels. It makes it so they can't be aggressive towards the basketball. And then another thing he did is he did a really nice job of flipping screen angles. So uh, in the modern NBA, when you're a guard and you have to defend all these pull-up jump shooters, you got to chase guys over the top of screens. And what ends up happening is you have to prep for that by taking specific steps or positioning yourself to get over that screen. Jalen Brunson did a real good job of waiting for his defender to get out of balance or to get prepped for the screen just to go the other way. And he was getting all sorts of downhill penetration. Anthony Davis is still not moving the way that he did before his injury. So they were having a nightmare of a time trying to contain Jalen Brunson. Then if they happen to get over the top of the screen and uh, stay with Jalen, he does such a good job of putting you in jail, trapping you on his shoulder, and just kind of working to his spots, and then using that physicality to quickly get a little bit of separation to take his little floaters and pop shots. Julius Randle was giving Ruby Hachimura a nightmare of a time with his foul grifting, and we're going to talk a lot about that later in the show because I have a huge bone to pick with where the NBA has been going in recent weeks and really for the last several seasons as it pertains to foul grifting. But Julius, keeping that left hand off the basketball, gathering with his right hand, looping Rui's arm with his left hand to then put it on the basketball and try to shoot, was getting a bunch of foul calls like that. I think he shot double-digit free throws, if I remember correctly. And the Lakers are having a bunch of trouble. Uh, especially in the lineups when uh, LeBron and Russ were, or excuse me, when LeBron and Anthony Davis were both off the floor. But this is a must-win game for the Lakers because of their predicament in the standings. They brought good effort for the most part, and we were sitting at 114-108. LeBron hitting a pull-up three at the top of the key. Lakers in great shape, and you think the game is over, and we head to overtime. And so how do you blow a six-point lead in just a couple of minutes? Well, uh, LeBron goes down the floor and uh, and and hits the three, but on, out of the timeout, the Knicks, they run a quick set for Jalen Brunson, a bunch of quick interchanges. He gets downhill, he makes a layup. Then LeBron goes down, takes another pull-up jump shot on Julius Randle, misses this one. The Lakers get an offensive rebound, and it's right in front of Rui Hachimura, 
and he looks back to check on Emmanuel quickly before he secures the basketball and basically volleyball sets it out of bounds. Um, so the uh, Knicks get the ball back. They force a miss, and Rui Hachimura, again, another big-time mistake, is guarding Isaiah Hartenstein in the left corner and forgets to box out. Um, you know, I think Rui should inevitably in the long run be in the Lakers closing lineup, but the Lakers, you know, when we're talking closing lineups and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, it's not just about skill set. It's not just about like, Hey, can you knock down an open shot? Or can you guard this guy in ISO? Uh, late games are all about execution. And that means that you can't make mistakes. And so one of the things Rui's going to have to watch out for is they're going to go back on tape and they're going to see that offensive rebound. And they're going to be like, the next time uh, Darvin Ham's trying to put together a closing lineup, he's going to be thinking to himself, can I trust Rui to box out? Can I trust Rui to make that extra defensive rotation? Can I trust him to do these little things that I need in that closing group? And kind of a little bit of a, a, a rough end of this game between that fumble and that missed box out, of, of basically a four-point swing, depending on what the Lakers get out of that offensive rebound. Uh, but on that offensive rebound, it gets tapped around, ends up in Jalen Brunson's hands. He finds uh, Quentin Grimes right into the basket for a layup. Now it's a two-point game. Uh, Russell Westbrook runs a pick and pop with LeBron. LeBron gets a wide open three, and he misses it because that's how it goes sometimes. And then Jalen Brunson once again in pick and roll gets down Hill and makes a little pop shot, and we're tied. And then, you know, we're in, we're in Madison Square Garden. Clock's ticking down. LeBron's got the ball at the top of the key. Very similar to the situation with the Celtics. And we get another foul call. This time, the right foul call. And as fate would have it, it goes against the Lakers. LeBron hits Anthony Davis with a little pocket pass in the lane. But the problem is, is the Lakers, consistently in that closing group, have not had enough shooting. It's a big part of why I think the Lakers need to uh, get a shooter at the deadline because in that closing group, there's a lot of Russell Westbrook. There's a lot of Dennis Schroeder. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of Troy Brown Jr. throughout the season. And those guys just aren't reliable spot up shooters. So what can Jalen Brunson do when he's guarding a non shooter in the left corner and LeBron and Anthony Davis are running pick and roll. He can abandon his man established position in front of the charge circle and take that charge on Anthony Davis as a third defender which Anthony Davis has no chance to see because his eyes are turned back towards LeBron being ready for the pocket pass. And that's how we ended up going to OT, although LeBron and Anthony Davis did some nice defensive work on Julius Randle before the buzzer. In OT, Laker landslide, they opened up with that uh, set play for LeBron where they run a bunch of basically uh, disguised actions off the ball, but LeBron's basically just deep sealing Julius Randle under the basket. Russ throws a really nice feed over the top. Russ has been an absolute abject disaster in clutch time all season long, but this was one of his best clutch games. That overtime period was one of his uh, best clutch periods, albeit with the ball in his hands, a whole lot to get into. We'll get to that later, but he had a really nice play on the left wing later in OT where he attacked the closeout on the pass from LeBron and made a really nice drop-off pass to Anthony Davis. And then he had another play where he isoed and drove to the basket and threw like a hook pass to Anthony Davis under the basket for a dunk. And then he hits effectively the dagger, that pull-up bank shot. So what do we get? A must-win game for the Lakers, who came in at 23-28, and 28, three and a half games back of that six seed that I think most teams are targeting to get out of the play-in, on the road against a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, and the Lakers got it done. So tip of the cap to them. There's a lot to get into in terms of negatives with the Lakers that I'm going to here in just a minute, but I want to start with the positive of saying 
It was a must-win game in a tough environment against a good basketball team. Not a great basketball team, but a good basketball team on their home floor, and the Lakers got a win. Um, so I, I want to frame all of that with that's all that matters, that they got to win. But in order for the Lakers to accomplish the things that they need to accomplish, they're going to need to play very good basketball down the stretch of this season. The Lakers are now three games back of Dallas for the sixth seed, and there's a bunch of teams in that whole logjam, right? Once you get after Sacramento, there's a little bit of a drop-off, and you've got Golden State, and you've got Utah, and you've got the Pelicans, and you've got you know the Clippers and the Lakers and the Thunder and, every, and the Blazers and everybody that's in that mess, right? And so it's really easy to get discouraged and to look at it and be like, hey, you know, not only are we three games back, but we have to outperform all of these teams are, that are in front. But to be clear, and this is the very specific reason why I want to talk Warriors for just a second here in a little bit. The Warriors and the Lakers in particular have a distinct advantage over the other teams in that set. The Lakers are much more talented when healthy than all of those other teams. They've been above 500 ever since their 2-10 start. Significantly, I think like three games above 500 or four games above 500, despite LeBron missing the first chunk of those games and Anthony Davis missing the significant chunk of those games. When they are whole, when they have everybody, they are much more talented than the Jazz. You know, they are much more talented than the Blazers. You know, so they're going to have, they're much more talented than the Pelicans, even with everybody out with injury. So they're going to have an opportunity to gain ground, and when everybody picks up that urgency, they're going to have the players to back it up. And that's a big reason why I haven't been out on the Lakers yet. A lot of their issues have been associated with injuries, whereas when you're looking at like the Minnesota Timberwolves, it's like, this is just super clunky. Why do they have two centers? You know, D'Angelo Russell is a mess. You know, Anthony Edwards is a downhill guard, and they're playing him in poor spacing schemes, and they're really only good when they have one center on the floor, especially when it's like Nas Reed who can really shoot. There's a lot of like clunky stuff there, and even when you put it all together, it's not as much talent, right? They're, it's hard to, like, they will have to outkick their coverage, so to speak, in order to be the pers- the team that wins this race down the stretch. And so I, I want to be clear that if things do look somewhat precarious, but the Lakers have the horses. And a lot of teams don't have the horses. That's why you can't write them off um, completely. But before we move on from the Lakers, I want to talk about Darvin Ham for a second because margin for error here is going to be key. The Lakers do have more horses than those teams. But they don't have more horses than the top teams in the league who also have a good amount of star power and deeper benches with more talent with the role players behind them. So what that means is that the Lakers can't afford to go 17 and 12. They got to go like 20 and 9. You know, they've got to be not just good. They have to be great down the stretch of this. And the difference between those two outcomes is not very large. And so they can't afford to leave points on the table. They can't afford to... Uh, to to engage in self-sabotage. And there's one guy in particular that I haven't talked a lot about this season. Um, and it's been I've been trying to familiarize myself with him. And also, he's been dealt a bad hand of cards with the rotation players that have been available. No forwards for the first chunk of the season. And then LeBron and Anthony Davis missing time. But I've been, I've been waiting for the team to get healthy to really take a look at Darvin Ham. Because when you have a team that has all the pieces together... 
it's vitally important that you consistently play your best players together as much as possible and that you stagger people appropriately so that you have conducive lineups during all the phases of the game. And Darvin has not done a good job of that as of late. There are three things in particular that I want to hit on with Darvin Ham. One, Russell Westbrook should never, ever play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis at the same time or by himself. Now, I understood early in the season when everything was going wrong and Anthony Davis is out or LeBron is out that you have to stagger and you need Russ out there by himself with a bunch of random NBA players trying to win those minutes. But that is no longer the case. The team is healthy now. And Russell Westbrook by himself in lineups this season, those lineups have been getting obliterated. In over 900 possessions, Russ on the floor without LeBron and Anthony Davis, the Lakers are getting outscored by 17 points per 100 possessions. That is a complete abject disaster, and those lineups got rolled again tonight. Now, if you put Anthony Davis and Russ together, they're about minus one point per 100 possessions. Much more palatable. With everyone available, it's vitally important to stagger the players in a way that actually is beneficial to the guys that are on the floor. LeBron can carry lineups by himself. Russ can't. So the way that I would structure the rotation is I'd start LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And then from there, it's pretty simple. Pull LeBron around halfway through the first quarter, bring in Russ. Then Russ and Anthony Davis run the end of the first quarter. When the first quarter ends, bring out Anthony Davis, put in LeBron. Then LeBron and Russ can run for a little bit. Then midway through the second quarter, you pull Russ and you close things with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That way you never have a moment on the floor with even just one of them on the floor. But if you absolutely have to because of minute restrictions or whatever it is, leave one of them on the floor, it can't be Russ. Not when the team is healthy. Not when those lineups have been getting obliterated nonstop. By putting him out there with Anthony Davis, you give them a higher defensive floor, which allows you larger margin for error on the offensive end of the floor. Second, Russ with the closing group. After winning tonight, the Lakers are 9-13 in games when Russ closes, but they are 4-0 when he doesn't. And this goes back to that original point about never playing Russell Westbrook alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Why? Because the things that Russ does well don't actually contribute or, or go well alongside the things that LeBron James and Anthony Davis do well. He is an on-ball player who excels at pushing the pace, punishing smaller, weaker defensive guards in the middle portions of games when things are loose. But in late-game situations, you have two options with Russ. You can give him the basketball and just hope for the best, which tonight it worked. But that has not been the usual outcome. Usually, it's been like what you saw against Boston. The inability to knock down spot-up threes or make plays off the ball and the poor decision-making on ball, like trying to isolate Al Horford or trying to isolate Nick Claxton or trying to isolate Joel Embiid when he doesn't have an advantage against those guys. And because he's not good off the basketball, you're better off going with a player that excels doing role player things because that's what he does his entire NBA career. We have seen it time and time again. And again, we went to OT 
But in regulation, it wasn't good with Russ. Offensive rebound. LeBron James cutting down the center of the lane, wide open for a dunk. Russ looks him off and takes a pull-up off the dribble three on the right wing when he is one of the worst pull-up shooters in the entire NBA at volume this year. With 12 seconds on the shot clock. That's up here. That's a complete lack of self-awareness. And even in a small sample size, it might work against the Knicks one time. But against the good teams, especially when you get to the postseason, you will lose. And the reason why I'm bringing these specific things up is because, again, the margin for error shrinks more and more as we approach the end of the season. For the Lakers specifically, as it pertains to their playoff chase and where they are in the standings. And then when you get to the postseason, let's say you get the sixth seed. That means you might draw the Sacramento Kings in the first round of the playoffs. If you play Sacramento Kings in the first round of the playoffs, they're going to have home court advantage. So if it's game five and the series is tied at two and you're on the road in Sacramento, if Darvin Ham plays Russ, based on what we've seen this season, it will go poorly. And the gap between the Lakers, if let's say the Lakers are this much better than the Kings when they're healthy. And I don't know, I think they're more than that. But let's say they're this much better than the, the Kings when they're healthy. A couple of poor decisions as it pertains to the rotation or the closing group can be the difference between you winning the series in six or you losing the series in six. The further you make it into the season, the margin for error shrinks more and more. And then the last thing with Darvin Ham is just Dennis and Pat. Um, he's been obsessed with playing Dennis uh, Schroeder and Patrick Beverly together, these two really small ball pressure guards. And the main reason why is he loves ball pressure. Darvin Ham loves being disruptive. He thinks it sparks transition opportunities with the way that they get deflections and steals and things like that. But the problem is, is it makes them too small in the aggregate. In an NBA game, if you play two players that are basically six feet tall, you're giving up a lot of size on the floor. And we have seen over 1,200 possessions this year of Dennis and Pat together, and they're minus six per 100 possessions in those minutes. And these are things where we're seeing clear evidence throughout this season that clearly demonstrate that one thing should be done and Darwin is going another way. And that's what makes that's why I've been discouraged specifically with Darvin Ham's performance as of late, as the team has been getting healthy. And if they're not, like, I talk a lot about the Lakers as a potential championship contender. I am at the point now, to be clear, I do not consider the Lakers to be a championship contender unless they trade Russ at the deadline. Because Darvin Ham has too much faith in him. And when the time comes, when the chips are down, in the pivotal moments of the NBA playoffs, I do not trust Darvin Ham to play the right closing groups, to play the right lineups. And the only way to save Darvin Ham from himself is to trade Russell Westbrook and literally take the option out entirely from Darvin Ham's decision-making. All right, there's my little uh, Lakers soapbox for you guys. Uh, really quickly on the Warriors, and again, why I brought this up is, is because I think the Warriors are in, in a similar position, obviously just in a much more competent, much more talented position. But they just got a quality road win in Oklahoma City last night for their third straight win. Uh, they're starting to put some stuff together as they're getting healthy and getting into rhythm. Uh, Steph was incredible last night, got super hot in the first quarter and then made the dagger late in the fourth quarter. He's averaging 30 in this uh, two-game stretch during this win streak on 49% from the field, 50% from three, 95% from the line. Why do I think that's important? He's starting to move better. And even when he was putting up numbers before that, he just looked like a guy who wasn't in basketball shape yet. You're starting to see Steph put a bunch of games together. 
now that rhythm is starting to click. Now he's starting to play more like an MVP. But lots of Warriors are playing well. Jordan Poole's been fantastic in this little stretch. Ty Jerome and Dante DiVincenzo are still giving you a great deal of backup ball handling, reliable backup ball handling and scoring. Jonathan Kaminga is the big guy I want to talk about tonight. He's been he's been my he was my biggest misread on Golden State this summer. As we were talking about how with I never never was worried about James Wiseman because I knew when push came to shove at the end of the season, the, the Warriors would be going down with Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. Um, but they lost Gary Payton II, who was one of their most important players in the playoff run, and they lost um, Otto Porter Jr. And so I was really concerned about how they would fill that specific position. And I thought that uh, you'd see a little bit of, you know, Dante DiVincenzo filling into that Gary Payton II role, and I think he's done well. But the Otto Porter Jr. spot has been the one that they've struggled to fill, at least for the most part this season. And I thought it'd be Moses Moody, a little bit more reliable as a shooter, a little bit smarter basketball IQ uh, making decisions. Although uh, compared to what Steve Kerr expects out of that position, it hasn't been good because that's been a big part of why Moody's been in and out of the lineup. But I thought he was the guy that was closest to being, you know, 82 games away from being a dependable bench playoff player. And I could not have been more wrong because I, I thought Jonathan Kamingo was too raw and too limited offensively to be able to fill into that spot. And he's been literally fantastic. He's already one of Golden State's best defensive players. They're using him a lot like that. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about the difference between like that versatile scoring wing that's a little bit thinner, a little bit more quick. Uh, and then that like big forward that's more of like a dirty work guy. Like, and I used examples like Aaron Gordon or Jared Vanderbilt. And ironically enough, Jared Vanderbilt's been mentioned a lot in uh, Golden State trade rumors uh, um, as of late. But the way I look at it, like them slotting Kaminga into essentially like a, the modern version of a big man and turning him into like a vertical spacer that cuts out of the weak side corner when Golden State's running their four on threes and unleashing him on ball as a primary defender. It has been, you know, honestly, a really, really, uh, 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 you know, underrated move from Steve Kerr to take a player that is very flawed and young, but has a couple of otherworldly natural gifts with his athleticism in finding him a role on the team where he can point and shoot Jonathan Kaminga at the things he's good at while not asking him to do the things that he struggles at. Um, but ironically, they've been able to throw it down to the post to him every once in a while, and he can make a play. He's been shooting the three ball really well as of late. Him excelling and and kind of taking that leap into that dependable modern forward in the NBA has gone a long way to fixing some of the issues that Golden State has on the bench. And now it's not as vitally important that they find somebody, although I do believe that they will be aggressive at the deadline. But this is the chance for Golden State to make a run. And this is why I brought them in here. Because, you know, Golden State in particular, they're a little thin. Their biggest weakness is depth. Ironically, the Lakers, it's not so much about depth because they have a lot of guys that aren't even in the rotation that are good NBA players. Like Wenyan Gabriel has been one of the best Lakers. He's out of the rotation. You know, the Warriors don't really have uh, that type of depth, but they're so much better on the top end, you know, one through six than the Lakers are. And so in in particular for the Warriors, I think it's more important for them to claw and fight for seeding. 
the more they can play at home, the better. The lesser opponents they can play in the early rounds, the better. And the reason why is they fatigue will uh, affect that team in a way that some of the other teams around the league, it won't. But make no mistake, we're setting up for this stretch run. You got all those teams I'm talking about. You got Portland, you got OKC, you got the Lakers, you got the Clippers, you got the Timberwolves, you got the Pelicans, you got the Suns, you got the Warriors, you got all these guys in this group. And they're all going to be like having the same conversations in the locker room about how they have to hit the Jets, but the Warriors have the personnel. Still to this point, after all this time, after all this negativity, after all of the bad stuff with the Warriors during the season, their top five guys, Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Steph, and Clay, are by far still the best lineup in the NBA to, pay, to play at least 200 minutes. They are outscoring teams by almost 20 points per 100 possessions. So when they hit the Jets the way everyone else does, they have a level they can get to that the other teams cannot. And so that's why I never wrote them off the more they struggled. That's why I never gave up on them as my championship favorite. I expect the Warriors to go on a run here over the course of the next couple of weeks. All right, I just want to take a few minutes to uh, talk a little bit about officiating because this is something that's been driving me crazy uh, as of late. It's been kind of a big storyline uh, in light of the LeBron James foul at the end of the Boston Celtics game. But really, to me, it's it's a larger problem at the direction the game is heading. And I want, I, I want to throw a couple of disclaimers out up front. Um, officials are a necessary evil. You absolutely have to have them. So we have to appreciate, you know, uh, the, the position that they're in. But also, that job is incredibly difficult. I don't have a lot of refereeing experiences, but the one, one of the few times that I've been a ref in a basketball game was for an alumni, um, it was like a, a teachers versus students game when I was playing in college at ACU. And the campus pastor, like, cussed me out in the game I was the only ref officiating by myself a game with 10 people running around in a casual pickup game. And I was getting cussed out for missing calls because I opted to just basically step back and not call anything unless it was egregious. Point being, I get that it's really hard. I get that everyone's, you know, screaming at you and yelling at you the whole time. I want to say that up front, that I understand the difficulty of the position. But to me, the role that the official plays in a basketball game is to manage the basketball game in a way that accentuates the players. What their job is not to do is to just simply enforce rules. Because, as is the case with everything in life, if you go by the book, you leave no room for discretion. If you leave no room for discretion, things slip through the cracks and a lot of people get treated unfairly. I think it's important to have discretion. And in my opinion, the referee's job is to be unnoticeable. And instead, what we're having is the actual game itself, the actual basketball players playing basketball in a way that caters to what the refs are doing. And for the reason why I'm so specifically passionate about this is I love this game so much. And they are ruining it. When Julius Randle dribbles at Rui Hachimura and gathers with his right hand as a left-handed player and keeps his shooting hand off the basketball to loop Rui's arm and to grab the basketball and then go up into the shot for the sole purpose to draw a foul, that is not a basketball play. 
When Anthony Davis, you know, falls down on a turnaround fadeaway when no one touches him, you don't do that when you go play at LA Fitness. When Joel Embiid does it, you don't do that when you play in your men's league. You play basketball. And this game in particular tonight was a slog of foul grifting from everybody on the floor. Jalen Brunson coming over the top of the screen. Defender is right on his hip. Just literally falls down to the right and just throws something up. And gets a whistle. He does that because they blow the whistle. If you stop blowing the whistle when Julius Randle does grifty stuff, Julius Randle will stop doing grifty stuff. If you don't blow the whistle when Jalen Brunson tries to flop and draw a foul, he will stop trying to flop and draw fouls. When you stop giving calls to Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid every time they fall down, they will stop falling down every single time they take a shot, even when nobody touches them. They do it because it works. And that's the problem with where officials are in the NBA right now. They officiate in a way that it's up here for the players. And as they are playing the game, they are hunting opportunities to manipulate the officials. And that becomes the, vi the vibe of the basketball game. How many of you watching that Knicks-Lakers game tonight were annoyed when every other trip down the floor, we were seeing somebody go to the free throw line over some sort of garbage non-basketball play? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine, Ben Dowsett, who uh, uh, um, has done a bunch of deep dive articles and things like that, interviews with uh, NBA officials. And he, him and I have talked a lot about this because he's on the other side of uh, of this debate. And and we go back and forth about it. And he he, he told me about this thing called the case book. So there, there's the rule book. And then the officials use something called the case book. And the case book is essentially their subjectivity outlined. You know, a year to year, their points of emphasis, the things that they tweak about the rule book. And that's what's so frustrating about this. The officials take it so seriously as it pertains to their job enforcing rules that they are missing the fact that that's not why they're there. If it was possible to not have officials, they wouldn't be there. The game is about the players and the game is basketball. When it becomes about the refs and the play doesn't resemble basketball, We've lost the plot. And the NBA already has a problem with the lack of urgency in the regular season because, you know, stars are sitting every other night. No one cares because 20 teams get into the playoffs out of 30. There is absolutely no urgency already. And that hurts the NBA. If you add in a bad television product driven by poor officiating, it only serves to further that issue. And they've said all the right things. Oh, we're going to work on stopping non-basketball moves. Well, that went out the window. What, what was that, two years ago? Like, show them this game tonight on both ends. And again, I, I'm just, I'm annoyed and I'm passionate about it because this is my favorite thing in the world. And I'm watching it suck. <laughs> and it's just, it's just really annoying. Um, but yeah, I'm off my soapbox. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. We are going to come back tomorrow night. We have, we have net Celtics, um, and then warriors, uh, Timberwolves, depending on what happens with the, um, with the starters. Cause the warriors have a back to back. They play the nuggets on Thursday night. Uh, whether or not we cover that on Thursday night remains to be seen. A lot of stuff has to go a certain way. Um, uh, but as always, I appreciate your guys' support and I'll see you tomorrow night right around the same time.
the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.